Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Nemechek, and this is our third show on the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, when I picked this topic, I did it because I was rehearsing my talk for the nine days of power at the Cathedral of Christ the King, Mary Lou, to which you attended as well. Um, but real, without realizing that that was the primary reading, the first reading on the Feast of the Day of Pentecost. Right. Which was kind of <laughs> cool. I was like, oh, wow, I know all about this, you know. Um but and how logical and it kind of highlight the fact that it is the first reading on the Feast of Pentecost means that the direct result of receiving the Holy Spirit is yielding the fruit of the Spirit. There's a direct connection. They're not just out there, you know, stuff that we should be doing if we want to be good or, you know, whatever our, you know, elementary school Catholic perception is. You know, a lot of us have uh, our Catholic education our Catholic sensibilities kind of arrested, you know, right after first communion or, or confirmation, if we're really grown up, you know, but we tend to think of the faith kind of in childish terms. Like if I'll just do this and I'll be okay, you know, or right. uh, the fruit is what you've got to do when you're good, you know, that kind of thing. But really there's a direct connection. You know, I, I think that's why, you know, the Holy spirit is so dynamic because it's, it's work, in action, and you see results, and you see how it affects people, how it affects you. That's what makes it so wonderful when you experience those things. That's right. And you know, is the Holy Spirit just the the? Does it just belong to like really cool people? Does it just belong to really holy people? You know, who does the Holy Spirit belong to? Belongs All to us. Everybody who's baptized and confirmed has received the Holy Spirit, period. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit are accessible insofar as we yield to the gift that is already within us. And the gift that is already within us is that famous down payment or pledge, you know, of our inheritance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you go and you buy a car or you buy a house, let's say, and you put a down payment down, uh, have you received the house yet? In its entirety. No. Right. But you have kind of put your dibs in for being the owner of that house. You know, you know that legally speaking, once you put your down payment on, you hope, you know, I, I know this is a wrong example with a real realtor, but um, <laughs> yeah. many things can happen. But um, 
or you buy a car, you buy a washing machine. Basically, once you put that down payment down, once you do that deposit, you know that more is coming. And that, in a certain sense, is what we receive at baptism and confirmation is so much more than that. Because at baptism and confirmation, we receive the house, the whole house. And we receive the whole car and the whole washing machine. And it's the Lord saying, this is just a taste of so many more cars and houses and washing machines that I have for you. I mean, I'm using silly examples, obviously. But it's like, it's a taste which is not just a little dab. It is a full uh bucket full of graces that if we would just knew, know about them, we would be able to bring them to bear upon our lives. Um, I read something else that really moved me about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's when our free will allows, when we give our free will, the Holy Spirit removes the abrasive qualities from the character of one under his control. Amen. Now, don't we all want that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially those of us who are abrasive without realizing it. Like, I know that people say sometimes I just come on too strong, but it's not like I realize it, you know. And, and it's like the same way, like when I look at myself in photos and I look at myself in a photo and I look like I'm mad. And I'm like, I thought I was smiling. <laughs> My face did something completely different than what I thought it was going to do. You know what I'm saying? It, but the we idea can is both that, the, check that box. What's that? I said, we can both check that box. Oh, I tell you, it's like, why are you yeah, upset? I'm intentions, upset. But we're very straightforward. <laughs> you know. But anyway, okay, so we talked about the fruit of the Spirit last time. So we're, we're obviously using the list from Galatians, a letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, uh, verses 22 and following. And we, um, we've already reviewed um, the prior gifts, starting from, I think, that, he, that Paul is ranking them in order of importance because love is always the most important, right? If you have that agape form of love, that highest form of love, uh, then in a certain sense, you are already operating on in all the other fruit, right? Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love always believes the best. Love bears all things. And within that first category, you have subsumed, in a certain sense, all the other gifts. That's why I love that passage in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 13, because it really kind of, um, you know, it's that passage that they read at, at weddings and they read um, here and there. But really, it's a passage that if you understood it, it would just knock your socks off. And I think the best picture of fruit number five, kindness, is First um, Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So the way I see it, 1 Corinthians 13 is a picture of the fruit of the Spirit being actualized in a person's life and being brought to bear. What do you think? I, I totally agree with that. And it's, you know, it's something that, that changes you. You know, you're not the same um, when you when you when you try to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. You will have a sense that you've accomplished something, I think. Um, it does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. I mean, it's you know, there, there's a payback. You that's what I'm saying. It's it's dynamic. You, you know, when it's when it's working, you know, when it's there. That's why, you know, my hope is that everyone will experience some of these things, that they will that they will use their gifts, that they will 
you know, see the fruits that come from it. You know, we're both mothers of children and I'm a mother of children and grandchildren. I want to see those fruits Mm -hmm. in my children and grandchildren. You know, it's something that you're always going to give away that you want to share with someone. That's what's so wonderful about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Once you have it, you can't keep it to yourself. Amen. That's why we have it, right? So we, yeah. we reviewed in the prior shows, love, joy, peace, patience. And now we're going to be looking at kindness, which we talked about. Um, well, which I talked about in my last talk was it's being morally upright, righteous, or full of integrity. And because you have integrity, then you conform your your behavior to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the way I have it here, if I'm trying to flesh it out, it's the opposite of judgmentalism. It's the opposite of like quick judgment and quick criticism. It sees and acts with kindness. Actually, kindness, um, this Greek word for kindness, chrysotis, also translates the Hebrew chesed, which is that chesed, that covenantal love that God has towards his people. And in a certain sense, uh, we've seen um, that term chesed translated in many ways. And it kind of it kind of confuses us you know, English speakers, because we don't really know, we don't understand when we see in the scripture, when it says his, uh, his mercy endures forever, that also is chesed. And when it speaks about his kindness and generous uh, love, that also translates chesed. So it's translated as many things, but in the end, it boils down to the agape love that the Savior has for us, the agape love that the God of the covenant has for his people, Israel. And, you know, kindness, as I said in a previous show when we were talking about this, it's doing something and not expecting anything in return. That's why you remember people that have shown you kindness, that have been gentle or considerate or sympathetic with you. You know what I'm saying? It, it leaves something with you and you it, it stays with you. That's what's so wonderful about kindness. Well, and, uh, and, and also Paul says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. I think in First Peter, it says that God is not mocked. If he delays, it's because he's giving everybody a chance to repent. He doesn't want to sort of shut the door in anybody's face. Right? He wants to give everybody a chance to respond to him. And he does that because he is kind and he is good and he is love. And that brings us to the next fruit, which is goodness also translated as generosity and basically it's goodness and kindness combined with integrity so that we are kind towards other people and we are good because we do good and because we are good so there's that exterior dimension and that interior dimension right the fact that Yes, we do good works, we do good towards others, but it also means that we have allowed the Holy Spirit to transform us in our interior into uh, a picture of himself, who is absolute goodness. And so, so in, go ahead. So goodness is like holiness put into practice uh, from knowing God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It means that we do good things and we are good. Right. And in Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about how God makes us worthy of his call and to fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith, which is also translated as every good work. That's First Thessalonians 111. 
And then the second, the, the next fruit or the fruit number seven is the fruit of faithfulness, faithfulness. Now the word pistis in the Greek translates as being dependable, being trustworthy, being a person in which you can have confidence in. You know, you have those friends where you know that they're going to be rock solid, right? That's It's not really any coincidence that God's name in the scriptures many times is rock. Mm. I love you, Lord, my rock. There's so many instances in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, in which God is just seen as this unmovable, uh, strong, faithful Right. And even in the Old Testament, it says God is faithful even when we are not. And isn't it so typical of humans to say, well, you did that to me. So now I'm going to do that back to you. You know, it's like tit for tat, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm thinking of a rock where no matter what the weather is, the rock isn't going to change. It's going to stay there. It's going to be stable. It's going to be a foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's a lovely thought about the rock. The rock, because it kind of illustrates the faithfulness, which really in the Old Testament, I mean, look at what the people did in the Old Testament. When you look, when you actually see what they did, you know, the people who say to me, oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's too judgmental and angry. I'm like, seriously, did you see what those people did? How they disobeyed him? How they they told him they were going to do one thing and then they do the opposite. And all the while complaining bitterly and griping and being sarcastic and um, disobeying and all those things. And yet he always, he says he's going to do something and he does it. It's just, it's a divine quality really. And in the New Testament, this confidence is the belief in God and the conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. That's how we know that God is faithful. First Corinthians 1 9. God is faithful. By him, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. He's faithful because he saved us. He's faithful because he redeemed us when he said he was going to. All the way to Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise to the human race that they will be salvation. And he keeps that promise, doesn't he? First, he keeps a bunch of promises. And we have to keep that promise. We have to make that commitment. Exactly. I mean, really, I heard somebody say once that the Old Testament is basically in first in Genesis 3.15, God says, I'm sending a Savior. And then the rest of the Old Testament is, I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending a Savior. Behold, I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending a Savior. And he will be wonderful and counselor, almighty God. And then I'm sending a Savior. And then towards the end of the Old Testament, it's, hey, the Savior's kind of coming soon. You know, it's like that collapse of the prophetic timeline, whereby by the time we open the Gospel of Matthew, if we've been through this expectation that's been building in the Old Testament, we know that something is about to happen. And in fact, a lot of the faithful Jews, the Essenes, the even Pharisees of the first century were primed to expect that the Messiah was going to crop up any second. Because of this of this crescendo of the promise of God, of redemption, of sending the Messiah, and also because God is faithful. See, they knew that he was faithful, so they knew it was this person was going to come, right? But that's like going back to the Psalms. How many times does it say in the Psalms how God is faithful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the next fruit is gentleness, gentleness, which can also 
be translated as meekness or mildness, which means what? Not coming on too strong, you know, not being constantly up in arms, not taking offense quickly, not assuming that other people are out to get you or assuming that if they said it this way, that means that they're, you know, they meant to offend you or they, they meant to hurt you. It, it, I think it goes back to that First Corinthians 13. Love, love always believes the best. Love bears everything. And in gentleness, we can bear everything, believing that the Lord means all things that happen for good for all of us, right? And right. so in a certain sense, um, meekness or mildness is kind of an anti-American trait, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not brought up to be meek and mild, are we? We're brought no. up to be you know, number one and, and to make as much money as possible and to have power and to, and all that stuff and, and not to rely on others. And yet the definition of meekness and mildness is, is strength under, under control, great strength under control. You have to tame a horse because you don't want to have, you know, 2000 pounds of, of animal marauding around, kicking people and breaking stuff. And, you know, for their own good and for the good of the people around them, horses need to be what tamed. Right. They need to be in a certain sense broken and tamed. And in that, the same way, we who are the the heirs with Jesus of the kingdom too, we have a lot of power with the Holy Spirit, but we too need to control it. It's like possession of our own self control, our own behavior. We need to really make sure that. We're not so fast of coming up with a sarcastic remark or a smart aleck remark or something like that. Just remember, Jesus never did that. You know, Jesus bore all things. I mean, look at his passion. How many of us would be able to go through all that with his mildness? Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek is how it's translated as well, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we have great strength, we have great gifts, but they need to be kept under proper control and applied in the right way. And finally, the last fruit that we're talking about is, of course, everyone's favorite, the gift of self-control, right? It's a gift that, in a certain sense, a fruit that most uh, Westerners are not really well acquainted with because every other commercial is about how you deserve this, the biggest possible car that you can afford, and you deserve the mansion, and you deserve, you know, the, the private plane, and you deserve the jewelry, and you deserve the cheese, and you whatever, whatever it is that they're trying to sell you, right? You know, right. or whether it's cheese or hair coloring, it's appealing to the fact that you're worth it, you know? Now, I'm not saying that we're not worth God's love because we are. God died for us. So we have infinite worth before the Lord. But using our self-worth as an excuse to um, for unbridled consumption, for instance, is not a good thing because it's not good for us, but it's also not good for those around us. So that we exercise self-discipline over our physical and mental desires and appetites through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are some examples? Again, I think of uh, um, reality television. When it first came out, like 20 years ago, I was so horrified. And I know I'm getting older, and I know I'm going to sound like an old grouch. And all that. But I remember thinking, these people have no control. 
like a lot of these so-called reality shows where they would coop all these poor people up in a house or or in a beach or or somewhere and they're expecting to to get them and really and the goal of the show wasn't really for people to get along <laughs> it was for people to fight right for people right. to 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 say awful things about one another and then try to knife everyone in the back and and win, quote unquote. But really, that's not a win because that's a pretty glaring um, show of lack of self-discipline. So when we have self-control, we will not get drunk. We will not overeat. We will not sleep around. We will not spend too much money or indulge in endless tirades on social media. That's another thing that gets me, especially during political uh, election season and that kind of thing or times like this like COVID-19 everybody has an opinion and you and I are known for our opinions well of course we have opinions but yes. we're not going to be there on social media crucifying people who don't think like us and I think that's a key point in today's world is that we do give our opinions mm-hmm. you know take our opinions for for what you you think you can agree or disagree but don't hate people because they have a different point of view I know and that's really gotten really bad or even I remember when I was in the court system, people would show up and they would, quote, demand their rights, you know, even when they didn't even really know what their rights were, even when they were completely at fault and really the rights belonged to the other party there, they somehow they had read or somehow it has seeped into the ground table of the culture that we have infinite rights for self-expression and that whatever I want, I need to get because it's my right. Which dispels what the truth may be in certain circumstances, correct? I mean, my right versus real truth. No, it becomes like a complete competition. So we've kind of given you a little bit of an overview of the fruit of the spirit. We're going to finish out this little four-part series on our next show. Thank you for joining us. 